0: Hello and welcome to the Sam Nose Podcast, I'm Barry Collins. In our very first issue of Spotlight Magazine, we ventured into space and examined the impact of Elon Musk's Starlink, publishing some of the first ever performance data on the satellite broadband service. Now, 18 months on, and with almost a million customers on the Starlink network, we're making a return journey. Starlink was in the headlines earlier this year, with some customers complaining about reduced speeds and inconsistent service, but was that a true reflection of Starlink's performance? To find out, I'm joined by Sam founder, Sam Crawford, to discuss the latest Starlink performance data and whether it really has deteriorated from those impressive speeds we saw 18 months ago. We'll also talk about Starlink's competitors, the new markets the company has moved into and what the future holds for satellite broadband services. I started by asking Sam what changes he'd seen in the Starlink data since we last reported on the service
1: well Starlink has seen quite a lot of uh, growth in their in their subscriber base just based on the public numbers I think they've they've almost tripled their subscriber base this year alone um, from a couple of hundred thousand users to I think I last saw the numbers in September about seven or eight hundred thousand which is um, pretty impressive they've got to be getting close to a million mm-hmm uh, But at the same time, they've also been launching a lot of uh, new satellites. I think they're north of 3,000 satellites now um, and opening additional ground stations, I hear. Um, So they've been bolstering capacity whilst also uh, greatly increasing their their subscriber base. I think what, what we've seen in the in the measurements is, is definitely more apparent that there was uh, there's periods where there's some some congestion or uh, has been some congestion. Uh, you can see the uh, throughput figures, the speed tends to be a bit more erratic. The confidence intervals increase. Confidence intervals around the latency measurements also increase. But in the past couple of months in particular, we've seen uh, marked improvements. Um, so it looks like they've brought on some, some additional capacity. But aside from uh, increasing confidence, Confidence intervals. The actual averages, both in terms of throughput and latency, are pretty much exactly the same. They've barely changed for a uh, for a year, mm-hmm. um, which is quite impressive given that they've um, they've increased their subscriber base more than threefold. So uh, the increased confidence intervals show that that some users are indeed seeing uh, far worse performance. I assume there's probably areas of of significant congestion, but on average, they
0: are holding up pretty well. Uh, we've seen reports over the summer and autumn that Starlink performance had dropped off sharply, but the Samnos data suggests the average performance has remained relatively consistent. Maybe take this opportunity, Sam, to explain how the Samnos methodology differs.
1: Sure. Well, I, I can't talk to, to other people's methodology or their data in, on any case, really, but um, I can talk about um, our methodology and um, uh, how I know it differs from some of the others out there. Um, so I guess the crux of it is we try and be as as robust as possible in our methodology, even if that means we make um, other sacrifices in other places, like pure, the pure volume of data that we collect, perhaps. But uh, to give you some examples, the vast majority of our measurements are, are scheduled tests, um, rather than uh, user-driven on-demand tests. Um, and that's important because um, it means we're, we're generating uh, measurements uh, Throughout a 24-hour period, um, even when the person's asleep and uh, nothing, nothing is switched on inside the house, uh, and even when no other devices are um, uh, are using the internet, uh, and that kind of dovetails into the second point as well is that um, our um, our measurement agent, whether it's the white box or the agent inside the um, uh, ISP's routers, um, will look for cross-traffic um, and will not run measurements in the presence of cross-traffic. And by cross-traffic, I mean um, uh, background traffic from other users or other devices inside the home. So for example, if you've got, you know, if your son or daughter is upstairs watching something on Netflix, um, then our measurement won't run. It will uh, wait until Um, there is there is no traffic Mm -hmm. Um, and there's a whole bunch of other things along these kind of lines but the point here is we're trying to build a very clear picture purely of the internet connection Um, so not of the device inside the home uh, in this particular case uh, not of performance to a test server very close to the user we're trying to build a picture of the um, from the, the point of termination in the user's home to typically a a test server located at a major internet exchange out on the um, out on the internet and i guess the last thing to add to jumping back to my earlier point is um all of our um scheduled tests that run on our own hardware called the white box and also on router uh, routers that we've embedded our agent, um, we'll do so from a from a wired device connected either directly inside or connected directly to the router. So we're not subject to things like you know, poor in-home Wi-Fi or you know, where the users place the device inside the home or whatever software is running on the user's device at that particular point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, all our devices are homogenous um, or the agents are homogenous. So it's a very predictable,
0: uh, as clean as possible, an environment so that we can isolate purely the internet connection. We recently saw Starlink add a one terabyte soft cap for customers. Do you think that may have had any difference to the performance you've seen? I think it's
1: probably a little too early to tell from that. That was only, if I remember rightly, about a month or so ago, maybe two months or so ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it's quite a um uh, I think "soft" is the the keyword there. It's quite a generous cap, so one terabyte is a fair well a fair amount of traffic. Um, but it's not like um, they're going to start charging you for for more beyond that point. I I understand they uh, they they rate limit you after that, but I mm-hmm. don't think it said what that rate limit is. And I think you can pay for additional premium traffic as they call it beyond that point. Um, I suspect they've got a small proportion of users which are probably using a disproportionately large amount of traffic. So this is basically about making sure that the, the few don't spoil it for the many. Um, I don't think it will have a massive amount of um, difference on network performance. I think it will help with that long tail. So where there are areas of significant congestion, then it will help reduce the, um,
0: uh, the impact on people who are suffering. What are the challenges of measuring Starlink performance compared to regular fiber connections? In general, satellite services have a much
1: higher uh, round-trip time. So for, for traditional satellite services from the likes of, I don't know, Hughes or Viasat, um, you'd be looking at around six 700 milliseconds round-trip time plus. Um, that's much better than it used to be. When we first started doing this like 15 years ago, it would be about 1,200 milliseconds uh, round-trip time. And there was all kinds of funky things that were put inside the modem to cache uh, HTTP traffic and uh, try and compress data upstream and downstream to Minimise the impact of that very high uh, round trip time. Now, uh, for Starlink, uh, they they are obviously much closer to the users. They're not quite as high um, in in orbit around the Earth, obviously. Yeah. So um, uh, the latency is much lower. It's typically um, well. It, I say 100 milliseconds is around the average. Uh, it can be plus or minus a bit, and obviously can be plus quite a bit if there's congestion. But 100 milliseconds is the average. So um, from uh, from a measurement perspective. It doesn't make a huge difference because there can be some DSL services uh, if you're in a in a really rural area in parts of the US or um, Canada, for example, where you can have a round trip time of 80 milliseconds. Yeah. So uh, an extra 20 milliseconds isn't a um, isn't a huge deal. I'd say the main um, the main thing you have to think about from a measurement perspective is trying to capture the fluctuations. So that might mean periods of a lack of connectivity where you can't get any packets for at all, mm-hmm. or uh, where the round-trip time um, spikes significantly or where the throughput degrades, it's it's certainly not as, as stable as, say, a, a fiber-to-the-home service. So I think it's important to try and capture that in any measurement methodology. So uh, to the second part of the question, um, uh, what have we had to do differently to measure Starlink? Um, uh, nothing. <laughs> it's uh, Yeah, we, we don't do anything different for Starlink than we do for... Um, other uh, services, we use the same methodology, whether you're on a 1-megabit DSL connection or a 10-gigabit fibre-to-the-premises connection. In some cases, we will um, use uh, more or fewer TCP connections, depending on, say, some some regulatory requirements. But um, in, in general, no, we don't need to do anything here. We use all of our same regular measurements
0: on Starlink that we do everywhere else. So just to drill into that issue with coverage, coming in and out if there's no coverage and you can't take a a, a speed test result presumably they just get white from the averages do they how do you how do you account for that in your results so if we can't run a speed test because there is no coverage at the time there is just no
1: ip connectivity then um then that just shows up as a a failure in our in our database we don't include failures in the averages for speed tests mm-hmm. um uh, because the the speed test is a measure of how fast or uh, how much how much bandwidth you can push through the pipe at any one time. Yeah. Um, Uh, so we don't include, we don't include failures in the average there because one failed speed test would drag the average down to to zero for that period. And it would, it it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Of course it's, it's really important not to just paper over the issue of um, a lack of coverage because it's great if you can get uh, 150 megabits per second for, uh, for 30 minutes every day. But if the other 23 and a (laughs) half hours, you have no coverage at all, then you're going to be pretty cheesed off. Yeah. And uh, I'm just making those numbers up. That's not pointing to anything <laughs> real, to be clear. So, um, uh, we do have lots of other metrics that capture um, uh, outages or disconnections. Uh, so, the most obvious one is a simple packet loss metric. Mm-hmm. Um, and we our packet loss metric runs continuously, our latency and packet loss metric runs continuously, so we're not just sampling it every, um, say, 10 seconds within an hour, running some simple pings. We are sending a constant stream of traffic, um, and we're sampling how how often packets drop across the entire hour. We aggregate it by hour, but um, uh, we send packets roughly once every one and a half seconds. So packet loss is one way to see it. Mm -hmm. Um, Another way to see it is um, what we call outages. So we capture... um, periods of contiguous packet loss. That's when two or more consecutive packets are lost. Um, we characterize that as a, an outage. Uh, and we show that in our Sam knows one dashboard to the consumers. It's kind of like a, a timeline for the day. And there's little vertical red bars indicating when outages occur. So if you look at a very poor connection, you can just see this like little striped pattern of um, of red, red bars um, indicating um, outages. And that's Obviously, not a good thing. You, you want a nice, clean display, which shows uh, which shows nothing. So, I'd say those are the two main ways we have of characterizing uh, that kind of unreliability. But of course, we have dozens of other metrics which look at things of like stability of throughput, stability of latency, um, jitter, uh, application-specific metrics. But most of the time. For now when we're talking about Starlink we're mostly concerned uh, to be frank about the about the access network about the uh, the link between your home with the satellite um, I forget what they call the dishy I think mm-hmm. uh, with uh, the satellite uh, receiver on your your home um, and um, up to the satellite and then back down to the ground station most of the time that's where the uh, the, the bottlenecks and the reliability issues are going to be uh it won't so frequently, at the moment be uh, be upstream of that in say the application providers or in starlink's backhaul because they're they're where they're going to suffer congestion wise will be on the access network for now simply because they're
0: scaling up so rapidly we're yet to see amazon launch its long-awaited competitor to starlink do you think this first move advantage is going to prove crucial for for starlink I think it will definitely help because they're going to get a lot of people who um,
1: have have a pent up demand for for this kind of service. So I know they've they've launched all kinds of things. Um, They've got the RV ones for people with the mobile homes in the US. Um, uh, They've got the the one for boats as well, and um, I think there's something around aviation coming out as well. So there's all that pent up demand for people who are suffering with poor quality broadband for many years now, and Mm -hmm. Starlink's going to hoover all of that up. Um, Of course there's not really much in the way of switching costs though right if uh if amazon or someone else comes along and offers a much better service which is way more reliable or way faster then uh then there's nothing to stop customer from switching to them whenever their contract is up. Um, it's not like there's uh, any hugely complicated infrastructure or very long-term contracts involved. They simply have to install a different dish on their home. So um, I, I think it, I think the the first move advantage will be beneficial.
0: It will help, but I wouldn't say it's going to be crucial for Starlink. In the time since we last looked at Starlink, it's announced a partnership with T-Mobile to eliminate dead spots in the mobile network, albeit in a very limited form. Do you think filling gaps in mobile coverage is likely to become a big part of Starlink's proposition? I think it,
1: it certainly could be. It's hard to it's hard to say at the moment. They're trying lots of different things simultaneously, um, and who knows which one will uh, which one will succeed or which one will stick. If they do have success here, then it's hard to imagine that uh, that some of the other mobile operators in the um, in the US and abroad wouldn't uh, wouldn't want to consider doing something similar with Starlink or maybe someone like OneWeb or um, or potentially Amazon. Um, but yeah, I can definitely see convergence of these kinds of services. In the um, in the in the not too distant future, we already saw something um, a few months ago uh, that Apple announced with their new iPhone release, which is the joining up with I think it's the Global Star or Globestar Star satellite uh, services for the for the emergency SMS. Yeah, um, so I can see more of this kind of uh,
0: meeting of the minds between different technologies talking of which starlink has announced starlink aviation which is bringing that service to airlines as well do you think we're reaching the point where internet connectivity will be available anywhere on the planet before long probably
1: yes um whether that's a good thing
0: uh, <laughs> who knows I, I
1: quite enjoy getting away from internet connectivity but um uh yeah i imagine it probably will be available pretty much everywhere um although you don't always have perfect gps reception um on your on your phone or on a gps unit for example if you're in amongst um uh, say tall buildings or you know, in, in a canyon or something like that so there's still there's still going to be areas but um I think the aviation one is is potentially interesting. There's lots of different techniques have been have been tried for bringing internet connectivity to to planes. There's mm-hmm. uh, been ground based stations firing service up to planes. There's been traditional satellite services firing service down to planes, um, and they've all been a bit. Patchy. I don't know if any of the listeners have tried, who've tried broadband services on planes. They are really hit and miss. Yeah. Uh, whether that's the fault of the providers or whether it's the fault of the uh, the airlines, uh, it's really hard to work out sometimes. But um, anything that Starlink and others can do to um, uh, to help the industry up the game, I think, is a, is a good thing.
0: Ofcom recently announced it was licensing more spectrum for satellite services to provide future bandwidth for connecting road vehicles and trains and unmanned aircraft systems. Do you think satellite broadband will become predominantly used by those commercial services, or do you think it's more of a consumer play?
1: I think this goes a little bit back to the, to the, to the T-Mobile example, um, that you talked about earlier. Um, uh, I think we're, we're probably going to end up seeing, um, hybrid services where devices. Um, I use that in the loosest possible sense. It might be a laptop. It might be a phone. It might be a car. It could be anything. Um, we'll perhaps use uh, mobile networks as a first point of contact. Then um, then services like Starlink, lower 4-bit uh, lower ones, and then maybe full satellite services in the future. And they will seamlessly switch between these um, as long as they can get some connectivity. Mm-hmm. Um and obviously, you have know, differing levels of service from um, from each one. So, um, I, I it, it might start off with commercial services, um, but I think it will quickly become available to consumer devices, consumer applications, even if consumers aren't don't necessarily think about it as a or it's not necessarily marketed towards consumers.
0: That's it for this episode of the Sam Nose podcast. Make sure to read the article that accompanies this podcast and all of our previous articles at samnosecom forward slash spotlight. Until next time, goodbye.